Good morning. So uh, I love it when I'm like reading a book, watching a movie, and the director or the author can kind of like plant details in the story, and then later on, usually kind of toward the end of the story, like they weave all that stuff together, and you're just, your mind is kind of blown. You're like, oh, they gave me all the clues, but I still didn't see it coming. Um, I was trying to think of like some, some classic, you know, that we could all sort of relate to uh, uh, with regard to this sort of thing, some classic stories. And, and the one that came to mind immediately was The Wizard of Oz, right? You've all seen The Wizard of Oz. Um, and spoiler alert here for an 80-year-old movie, but if you watch the movie, you'll notice that all the characters, the Tin Man, the Lion, all that, they're all the farmhands in the story, right? You know, we're not, we're not blowing anybody's minds. Nobody here is saying, you know what, I was going to watch that this afternoon, and you just ruined it for me. Thanks a lot. Big, big twist at the ending. But I think that's so cool because you're watching the story and you see introduced to these characters and then you don't, oh, it all comes together at the end and it's such a neat thing. I know this is a little, um, I don't know, guilt, not guilty pleasure, but this is for me. But the, the movie that did this for me the most and I still sometimes just get chills thinking about it was when Luke Skywalker was fighting Darth Vader and, and Darth Vader reveals that he actually is Luke Sk- And you're like, oh, what in the world? Are you kidding me? Like, I, I'm t- I've told you this before, but I am the target demographic for this movie. I'm th- they were thinking of Patrick Doherty as like a you know, six-year-old child when, when these movies were, uh, were, were hitting their stride in popularity. Something like that is happening in the text that we're going to read today, where this incredible author, this genius author, weaves together centuries of of detail and of drama and of plot point, weaves together and it comes together in this moment, and we, we kind of miss it. We we who grew up in the church or we who come to faith uh, later in our lives, we kind of miss it because what's happening is just literally millennia of plot coming to fruition in this one moment. And really, the Bible only gives, in the passage we're going to read, only gives two verses to this, but it is just an incredible kind of mind-blowing, twist-ending, nobody saw coming. And what I want to try to do is, as much as we can do that with something as familiar as the text we're going to read, I want us to get into the place where we see what was happening in this moment, where we can, for just maybe a moment, kind of experience what it was would have been like to have that reveal, to have the, the, these words spoken to us and have centuries of, of planning and plot and story come together in a specific moment. All right, I hope I haven't oversold it, but I don't really think you can oversell what we're going to talk about today. The book of Matthew chapter 26, book of Matthew chapter 26, and we're going to start in verse 26. <clears throat> While they were eating, Jesus took bread And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom." If you've been with us for a few weeks, we've been talking about 
uh, king and kingdom. And I've been trying to impress on us, and I've certainly been impressed by the fact that you cannot really understand who Jesus is without understanding that this is what he was about. He came to earth to proclaim the kingdom. That's what his sermon was. And he, he, he just went everywhere saying, hey, repent, the kingdom is at hand. That's what it, it's, it's about the kingdom night and day. He was talking about the kingdom. He said, hey, here's how you live in the kingdom. Here's what the kingdom is like. Here's some stories of what the kingdom of heaven is like. Here's some parables. It was just, it was kingdom right and left. And this was going to be something so different. And this is the hard part we have understanding for ourselves because this kingdom was going to be something so different than the world had ever seen. It wasn't going to be about accumulating wealth and power, but it was going to be about generosity and love. It wasn't going to be about like, uh, how do I get, how do I get ahead? How do I get people to serve my needs? But it was going to be about serving other people. That was the type of kingdom that Jesus was initiating. It was just different. People didn't have categories for what he was doing. There was no borders. There was a king, and he was proclaiming himself to be this king. It was a kingdom of joy and peace and kindness and righteousness. There's one problem, though. How do you create? That's so idealistic. That sounds so great where you have this place where everybody just loves one another all the time and it's all awesome and everybody's just happy and joyful and whatever, right? How do you create a perfect kingdom with a bunch of us? How do you create a perfect kingdom with a bunch of us in the room? As soon as you invite me, I kind of ruin the party because I've got a lot of flaws, How do you create a perfect kingdom with a bunch of imperfect people? And it's such an important question because we're thinking about like what does it mean to be a part of this this entity, this organization, but then we know our own flaws and we know each other's flaws. How do we create something that's perfect and that's beautiful and that's worth worth being a part of with, with all of our junk and our baggage? Well, Jesus has some good news for you. In this story that we just read, we're about 12 hours before the crucifixion of Christ. There's about 12 hours to go, and Jesus has been doing quite a few different things. And we've told you that in this Gospel of Matthew, you've been, in in all the Gospels really, you're seeing sort of this fast-paced narrative, but then you get to this final week, and the, 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 the lens zooms way in, and you look at the details of what's happening, and almost every day is sort of outlined for us. And we just, the authors of these stories want us to see in just vivid detail the events that led up to the crucifixion of Christ. And they include this story, all four Gospels include this story of Jesus gathering his disciples. It's pretty interesting how it takes place, but they're in this room and they're eating this meal together. They, they, they all found it important to talk about this moment. And so what we're going to do as we talk this morning is we're going to try to try to give us an idea of some of that history that is being weaved together to come to this moment that we're reading about in this room. And, and I think if we do a good job, there's a big payoff for us. There's something really valuable for us to see. Um, I, I know that most of us, uh, and, and this isn't true because some of you say you like change, but most of us don't really like change. And we know that, right? Because if you, if you come to church and somebody's sitting in your spot, you know, you're like, okay, I guess it's okay. They're a visitor from Texas. They don't know where the assigned seating are. I guess I'll just let them sit there, you know, go Virginia or whatever, right? You, you, you don't, you'll, you'll, you'll talk yourself into it, but you don't like it, right? You don't like change. If we move communion from the normal spot in the service and bump it till the end, it just throws everybody off, right? 
We don't, we don't like change. It's unsettling. We don't want things to be different. We don't want, necessarily want things to be new. We want things to be comfortable, even if they're not the greatest. At least they're the way that we're used to them. We don't really like this change, but what Jesus was doing was such an earth-shattering change. There just were no categories in people's minds for it. Let me give you just a little bit of, of, of background. The, the meal that is being celebrated by Jesus and these 12 guys is called the Passover meal. It was the, it was, you know, we talked about this last week. We talked about how Jerusalem was just crammed with people. They were from, people came from all over the world and they descended on this town. And this town swelled from like 60,000, you remember, to 250,000 or so. And there's people hanging out the windows. There's people in alleyways. There's just people camping everywhere. There's noise. There's animals. There's just, it's just wild and crazy. But the centerpiece of the celebration was the Seder meal, the Passover meal. They called it the Seder meal. And the, the, what they did is they had this specific order, this specific script that everything was supposed to follow in this meal. In fact, literally, the word Seder, the name for this meal, means order. Because you do this thing in this way, and it follows this plan, and it follows this script. You get up, and you drink this cup, and you eat this bread, and you, eat, you, know, you dip this thing, and we could go through all the details of it. But it was specific, and it was just the way things were supposed to be done. So this is the centerpiece. You know, you can't have Thanksgiving without the turkey. You can't celebrate the Passover without the Passover meal. This is important. This is the highlight. This is Independence Day for the first century Hebrew person. Remember, they're calling to mind the Prince of Egypt, the Ten Commandments, the, the Exodus gods and kings. They're calling to mind that story of God taking his people, rescuing his people out of Egypt. And God says, every year I want you to celebrate this. I want you to have a huge week-long party. And at the center of this party is this meal. And every element of this meal is a reminder of what I did. And here's what you're supposed to do. And here's how you're supposed to fix the bread. And here's what you're supposed to think about. And here's, what you, here's the way this all takes place. It was very orderly. You did the same thing every year. For millennia, they had been doing the same thing. Maybe there were minor tweaks here and there, but for millennia, they had been taking this, celebrating this meal in exactly the same way. No change. It's comfortable. It's the way we like it. In fact, it's the way God has scripted it out. I don't know if you think about this very often, but uh, something happened to me a while back that made me think about the scripts that we live our lives by. Um, and and what, I, what I mean by that is that, and it's not a bad thing, but we have interactions with other human beings, and they typically follow a script. That's how we know we're not, you know, wild and crazy serial killers, because when we ask somebody how they're doing, they say fine, and we go on our day. Or when we talk about the weather, we say this is crazy weather. Or we talk about the snow, or we talk about the warm, we talk about the cold. And there's a script, and we just follow a script. And that's kind of how humans learn to interact with one another, so we kind of are feeling each other out. We're not quite close enough to jump, you know, if somebody, if I don't really know somebody, and I say, how are you doing, and they just, just get me too much detail, I'm like, well, we don't have that relationship yet. Let's build up to that point. And, and you're like that too. And, and when people go off script, you're a little uncomfortable. You're like, well, what do I do with this situation? Let me give you a quick example uh, of what I'm talking about. I was at my children's school uh, a while back, and I was walking into the front door of school. One of my kids, they daily forget stuff from school, so I feel like I'm always dropping off lunch or shoes or, you know, how did you get to school without shoes? Well, whatever, here's your shoes. Whatever it is, so I'm, I'm walking up to the front doors of the school, and behind me is a person, about 30 feet behind me, and I kind of turn, glance over my shoulder, and I th thought I recognized them. And so I decided to just give them a really big, warm, friendly greeting. They're about 30 feet behind me, and so I turned, and I was like, real big arm wave, hey, how? 
And then halfway through the hay, I realized that I did not know this person. Now, I've got a dilemma because I have overdone the greeting. Like, there's like the friendly extrovert, but I'm, I've blown past friendly extrovert, and I'm now in like stalkers, weirdo, serial killer, who is this guy territory. So I'm kind of midway of, hey, and I'm like, oh, that's not who I thought it was. Now, I thought maybe they would give me something back, you know, like a, a look of confusion or like, uh, hi, how are you doing? That's an awkward greeting for human, one human being to another that doesn't know each other, but nothing. Blank stare, blank stare. And I'm like, oh boy, you know, so now I'm in a bit of a dilemma because I'm turned around facing this person and they are giving me nothing back. I'm well off script. I'm writing my own script at this point. There are no like charts for how you handle this interaction. And I think, I'm literally thinking this in the moment. I'm thinking, I got one of two options. I can just turn back around, pretend this didn't happen and move away and never talk to this person again because I'm so, this is so awkward and so embarrassing. Or I can lean into this and I could really act like I know them, and maybe the awkwardness will transfer from me to them because they'll be like, this guy clearly knows me. We're clearly good friends, and I just can't place who he is. That was my, that was my thought. And guess which one I went with? Like, how are you doing? You know, like, let's just get real big here. This person, nothing. Blank stare, not even like a confused, you know, like, what is going on here? Blank stare, like, giving me nothing. Now, I've taken enough time at this point that they've caught up to me. And now we're walking side by side in just the most awkward silence that you can imagine. It was just, like, I, I sometimes lay in bed at night and I cringe thinking about this moment. Like, oh, I hope I never see this human again because this, this just went so horribly wrong. I was so far off script. And I think that we think, when we think about our lives, there's just the way things are supposed to unfold. There's the way that it's comfortable, the way that people are going to interact with us in a normal way. And when we get too far off script, it gets weird. We don't know what to do. So I want you to think about that idea with this story that we're reading in the book of Matthew. The idea of just being so far off out of the norm. So there's this centuries-old ceremony for how you're to eat this meal. And they are all gathered in a room, and there's four cups, and there's a bunch of bread, and, and you'll notice that the, the Gospels, and this is interesting if you grew up in the Church of Christ, the Gospels don't give us every detail of the meal, but there were more details to be had. They just give us the, the two. They give us the bread and the cup. That's the only details. But there's more, uh, there's more elements to this meal that they're, they're, they're having, likely. Um, and you're supposed to say certain things. So what you do is the head of the table, you know, they've got this big kind of, you know, it's not the Da Vinci you know, Last Supper at all. They got this big table. Everybody's reclined at the table and the head of the table might stand up and they'll pick up that unleavened bread and they'll break that bread and then what they're supposed to say and we have plenty of documented evidence from the first century of what you were to say, what the head of the household, what the head of the table was to say. They were to say at the Passover, take and eat. This is the bread of affliction which our forefathers ate in Egypt. Remember, God had commanded them to make this bread, make it quickly, because you're going to have to book it out of here, and you're going to make this bread every year to remind you of how quickly, you know, you had to get out of the country. Take and eat. This is the bread of affliction, which our forefathers ate in Egypt. And then you take the cup. There were four different ceremonial drinks you, you would take, but we only have this record of one. You would take the cup, and, you, will, and you, you quote Exodus chapter 6, where it says, I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. And you're reading a scripture of the Bible in Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. But 
But Jesus, at this moment, goes well off script. Look what he says. He says, take and eat. This is my body. Now, if you're reclining at the table and you've been to a Seder meal your entire life, you've heard them given, you know exactly what's supposed to be coming, you're all prepared for the thing that's normal and comfortable, and then all of a sudden Jesus breaks the bread and he says, take and eat, this is my body, you're, you're starting to look around at, like, Bartholomew, did, did he just say, did he just, Levi, did he just say what I thought? He said, this is, this is not the normal script, what's, what's going on? And then he takes the cup, and he says, take this cup. This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. This was so far off script. This was so different than what you were supposed to do. Jesus was doing something in this moment that we don't see because we just read that story and we're just like, okay, that's how it goes. Jesus was doing something significant. He was communicating something uh, to this room full of people. This is like that record scratch moment like, hey, what, huh? What? Or, what's going on? This is not the Passover Seder. This is not the normal meal. Imagine this. Imagine this. You're a first century Hebrew person. You know about God. You know the scriptures. You've been well steeped, well educated in the scriptures, right? You know what to expect. You know how God works. You have his ways nailed down. And Jesus is doing something completely new and completely different. How mentally prepared would you be for a change like this? How much do you think that those disciples, maybe they were totally, Jesus, we're in. We're following you, but this is different. This is weird. What you, what's going on here? Where are you leading us? I, I'm not comfortable. We're in uncharted territory. You're taking me off. Like, this is different. I mean, how different would that be? And Christians, I want you to think about this. We sometimes, this is, um, this is an unfortunate truth, and this is true for me. This is true for many of you, most of us in the room. Sometimes we think we've got God kind of figured out. Oh, his ways are higher than our ways, but we've got him figured out. We know what he wants and what he doesn't want. We could probably speak for God. Somebody, you don't need to actually ask God. You can just come ask me because I really know what God would say in pretty much any given situation. We think we got God figured out. But let me tell you, the, the, the moment you think you know what God is going to do in a situation, you do not yet know as you ought to know, Paul would say. You do not yet know as you ought to know. To be prepared for God to be doing something so different and so new in your midst. No, God, we've been doing it this same way for a decade. There's no reason to change anything now. We serve a God who is willing to disrupt centuries of tradition to introduce something powerful and something new. To say this moment, this ceremony, you thought it was all pointing back to Egypt. Nope, nope, nope. It was all about me. It was all pointing to me. It was all going to come to fulfillment in me. It was all going to be about me. Wow, that's so different. Are we prepared for a king that is going to do different things than we expect? Or when God comes along and tries to make growth and changes and tweaks in our lives, are we like, no, 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 I'm just going to stick with what I know and where I am. I'm not going to follow you into that unknown, uncharted territory. Our king, if we believe Jesus is our king, he's going to take us in directions that maybe we're not always comfortable with. The second thing that's happening here, and I want you to see this in Matthew chapter 26, verse 28, and, and this, what we're going to talk about here, I, even as a person who grew up in the church, this is going to be some weird stuff. I just want you to put your seatbelt on because there's some weirdness about to happen. So in Matthew chapter 26, verse 28, this is what he says when he takes the cup. This is the blood of the covenant, of the covenant. And I think it's important that we highlight that word, the blood of the covenant. We don't really use that, that word much in 
church life or outside of church life. This is not a word we use very often. We don't, you know, you don't make a, you don't sign a covenant to buy a car or house. You know, it's, we, just, it's, it, we understand it means like some sort of super duper heavy duty promise, but it's, it's just a strange word. But it's an, it's an important concept for us to understand because it's how the plot line of the Bible gets moved along. God enters into humanity at these certain points uh, in people's lives and he establishes covenants with them. He established a covenant with Noah. He established a covenant, covenant with Abram. He established a covenant with, with David. He established a covenant with the Hebrew people. So these different moments, God's saying, I want to have a relationship with you, and this is going to be how we secure this agreement. This is going to be how we make this arrangement, how we create this friendship, this relationship, this partnership. It's going to be a covenant. It's going to be a covenant. Now, we may not have much of a point of reference for the, the concept, but the people in the room, the 12 guys in the room, certainly did. Um, I don't know how often you buy stuff used online, and, and, and I know if you buy stuff online, great, but if any of you ever use Craigslist uh, or OfferUp or any of those, yeah, some of those are fantastic apps, right? They're wonderful, but have you ever been in a situation where you're like, this looks shady, like, this is a sketchy, I don't know, I'm not sure. Like, if you're buying a car and you're trying, is this thing really going to work? Like, how do you know that the terms of the agreement are secure in this interaction? Especially when you're buying something online. I've told you some stories about me and offer up and some, some not trouble I've gotten myself in. That I almost bought drugs, but I won't tell, we won't talk about that this morning. It's a total accident. I mean, is it a total accident? I should explain that. But you're just wondering, like, is this thing going to work as advertised? Is this lawnmower? Is this situation? Is this, am I going to show up to this place? Are you going to be at this location when we agreed? Are you going to murder me? Like, I mean, there's all kinds of questions that you have when you buy something online. There's no, like, you, you just have to kind of go with your, your gut a little bit. Like, is this person seem trustworthy? Is the way they describe this thing? Is the price seem like it's, it's, it's relatively no, uh, like a normal price for, for whatever it is that I'm purchasing, purchasing right? So we got to figure out, do I trust this situation? Is the deal too good to be true? Why are the serial numbers all filed off on this thing? Hmm, that seems strange, but it's cheap, whatever. So, so the question of that, that interaction, that, that trustworthiness, can I trust this person with whom I'm, I'm creating this, this deal with, is not a new problem. This is an ancient problem. And they had to figure out, like, can I trust this person? They say they're going to provide sheep or grain or whatever. Can I trust them? Because I'm relying on them. This agreement is very important. I'm going to give you, you know, this. You give me this. It's very important. And if you don't hold your end of the deal up, I, I mean, life could be really bad for me. So what do you do in a situation where you're, you want to be able to trust this person, but you're not completely sure? Well, ancient people had figured out a way. You create a covenant. You create a covenant. You create this, this intense promise with this other person about, about what's going to happen if you break your relationship. And there's a good example of this in Genesis chapter 15. And this is, like I said, this gets wild. But this is Genesis chapter 15. This is Abram. God, of course, eventually changed his name to Abraham. But before this happened, God, uh, a God has said to Abram, hey, you are going to have this land eventually. I'm going to give you this land. And Abram's saying, God, how do I know this is true? How do I know you're going to keep your end of the deal? And God says, look at this, it's Genesis chapter 15, verse 8. Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? Verse 9, so the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer. What? Wait, what? <laughs> what does that have to do with me being sure 
that I will gain possession of this land that you're promising me. Because I'm really extending myself. I've left home to, to take this land, and if it, you don't come through on your end, this is a big deal. And God says, go, go get me a cow, and go get me a goat, and go get me a ram, uh, and make sure that they're three years old, and get me a dove and a young pigeon. And you're just like, what? What in the world here? Now, there's something happening here that we're not used to, because we sign contracts and agreements, and if somebody doesn't uphold their end of the deal, we call the police or, you know, whatever. But something different is happening here. Look at verse 10. Abram brought all these to him. Now, he didn't have to be told by God what to do, because this was something that, with which he was familiar. He cut them in two, and he arranged the halves opposite each other. So all these three-year-old animals, it's kind of gruesome, but cut them in two, and then he arranged each half opposite of each other. And what he's essentially doing is he's creating this little pathway. And you got half the goat there, half the goat here, half the cow, half the, you know, and he's creating a little, a little pathway. And this is not something that Abram was unfamiliar with. He knew what was happening here. He knew what God was doing because what God was doing was establishing a covenant. Now this seems so strange to us, but what you would do is you and that person with whom you were making the agreement, you would walk down the path of those animals, you'd create this, this bloody aisle, and you would walk down that path, and what you were implying or what you were saying is, may it be done to me as it was done to these animals if I do not keep my end of the deal. Whew, that sounds serious. That's intense. Like, wow, okay. But that's, that's a covenant. That's the, the beginnings of a covenant. But I want you to see this story because this is so fascinating. The Bible, you guys, the Bible is so cool. Genesis chapter 15, verse 12. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep. But wait, you can't just go to sleep. You're talking to God. What, do you, what, is, what is happening here? And a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. This is so weird. This is so bizarre. And this is cultural and we don't get it. But honestly, think about this. If you were trying to explain to someone who had no concept of like a birthday cake and birthday candles, if you're trying to explain that to them and, and they were like, okay, let me get this right. You take a pastry, a delicious pastry that you made in honor of this person and you light it on fire. Yeah, yeah, that's what we do. And then they try to blow that fire out. Yeah, and they try to do it in one breath? Yeah, because if they don't do it in one breath, they won't get their magical wish. What? What is, I mean, it's a strange custom, but we're used to it. This was a strange custom, but they were used to it. Now, as the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep. A thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Oh, this is so interesting. Verse 17, when the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared. What? Some of you are like, this is why I don't read the Bible. Because what is, what? There's bloody animals. Abram's sleeping over there. And then there's a smoking fire pot. What is happening? What is going on here? Many times in Scripture, and many of you are familiar with this, when the presence of God actually revealed himself to people, he would reveal himself as fire and light and smoke. And you see this in the tabernacle, the pillar of fire, the pillar of light. You see this with the tongues of fire on the day of Pentecost. You see this with Moses and the burning bush. The presence of God is often revealed as smoke and fire and light. And so Abram says, we want to make a covenant. Cut the animals in two. Abram falls asleep over here, and the presence of God walks between the pieces. Verse 17, when the sun had set, the darkness had fallen, a smoking pot, fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. Do you see what's going on here? What does God know about Abram's ability to keep his end of the deal? 
He's not going to do very well. And so what does God do? God says, I'm going to make this partnership with you, but I'm going to spare you the responsibility. I'm going to hold up my end of the deal, and I am also going to hold up your end of the deal. I'm going to hold up my end of the covenant, and I'm going to hold up your end of the covenant as well. I'm going to be the one responsible for this covenant. I'm going to be the one that bears the brunt of responsibility when you inevitably break it. I'm going to pass through these pieces alone to spare you from yourself. I am going to make sure that your shortcomings and that your failure don't hurt this relationship. Do you, do you see what's going on here? That God cares about having a relationship with Abram to the degree that he won't let Abram undermine the relationship himself. This blows me away. This blows me away. I want you to think back to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat, this is my body. Here's the broken, my broken body. You're, you're not going to be able to keep this, your end of this relationship. You're not going to be able to be perfect. I will bear the consequences of your moral failure. I will bear the responsibilities of your moral failure. W- what? You're going to keep both ends of the deal when I fail to hold up my end of the bargain, you're going to keep, keep it? Verse 27, then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you. This is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out um, for forgiveness of sins. I, I, I don't know what to say here, folks. This is, this is so valuable. This moment is so earth-shattering. Jesus, our king, the one who came to establish the kingdom, is not willing to let our failure define our future. He is not willing to let your failure define your future. I know we talk about Jesus loving us all the time, but do you realize what he is willing to take on to have a relationship with us? What he was willing to do to have a relationship with, with us? God, I'm, I, I don't keep my end of the deal with you very well at all. You know what? I will bear the responsibilities of you breaking that covenant. I will bear that. I will bear the consequences of your sin. I will bear that. I will take care of that. I will die so that you and I can have a relationship together. How do you create a perfect kingdom with imperfect people? Well, you have a king who is willing to do anything and everything possible to have a covenant relationship with us. You know, I... I think as, as, as followers of Jesus, I, I don't think we understand that when we come to this moment of taking the cup and the bread, we understand what is going into this moment. We understand that we serve a God who wants to be in covenant relationship with us. He wants, he wants us to have a partnership, a friendship. He wants us to be in family with him and we can't because we have messed things up beyond repair. And Jesus says, I will pay the price for that. I'll pay the price for that. I'll take care of that for you. I will allow myself to be taken to the cross, whipped, beaten, killed, so that you and I can have a relationship. 
I don't know what to describe that as but good news. That's good news. And that's the gospel. That's the type of king that we serve. And so what we're going to do is we're going to transition to a moment of, of taking communion together. Um, and I'm going to have uh, those designated to pass. If you guys go ahead and go back and, and, and start getting that ready. I'm going to say a word of prayer. And I just want us to understand that we serve an unbelievable king. Um, that, that we have, and we have a covenant relationship with this king. It's amazing. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we are grateful to be here in this moment, to be thinking back to what happened 2,000 years ago in that room as you described to your followers.